Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. obviously really good to be with you this morning. I just want to kick us off, if it's okay, with a bit of a question. Um, and I just want to ask you what pressure points you are facing at the minute. So what are the, the situations that are really stressing you out? What are the things that are maybe keeping you up at night with worry? Uh, what are the situations where you really just want God to move in? Uh, and you really just want uh, God to answer your prayers and, and fix that situation? So uh, for me at the moment, some of you might know I run a charity called Number 11. And uh, if you don't know about Number 11, it's pretty great. I'm quite biased, but it's a centre in Stoke where we try and offer a relationship and kind of long term sustainable support to people struggling with a variety of issues, whether that is um, debt, whether that is struggles with their mental health, unemployment, homelessness, substance misuse, uh, bereavement, isolation and so forth. And um, like many other organisations, I imagine similar to us we've been hit pretty hard by coronavirus. So we've had to change a lot of the way that we're working very rapidly. That's been quite tough on a lot of our staff. We have lost um, quite a significant amount of fundraising income over this time. And this also happens to be our year of transition where we uh, finish up all the original grants that we were given to get started. Uh, which means as of next year, we've got just over a hundred thousand pounds a year uh, kind of shortfall. And I will be very honest, I have sat over the last couple of months and I have tossed and turned in bed and I have worried and I've uh, been quite anxious about this and I, I've been praying it all through. And uh, many of you will be um, familiar with the feeling sometimes that if something you're doing isn't going well, that you must be a complete failure and you're getting it all wrong. And I have just been crying out to God. And I've been, God, please, you need to come and move. God, we need some more money. You need to fix this. You need to fix that. And I've started to notice a little bit when I get to those pressure points. So when I feel like my back's against the wall a little bit, my faith can very quickly just resort to, oh, God, please just do what I want. Please come and fix this. Um, I'll go straight into thinking about me. Uh, there's probably an awful lot of pride in the fact that I don't want to fail. I don't want uh, number 11 to collapse because I really believe in the number uh, 11 work. But I also probably just don't want to fail. And I go straight into the mindset of making sure everything goes right from my perspective, because that's what's most important, obviously. Um, and I've found that over time, uh, all, all that's really left me with is an awful lot of worry. It hasn't fixed any of my problems. It hasn't sorted anything out, but it's just left me uh, tossing and turning at night, stressing about situations that um, a lot of the time might be outside of my control. And so I'm going to pause that story. I'm going to come back to it later uh, because today we're going to look at Daniel chapter three and Daniel chapter three shows us what we can do when we come up against these hard times, these hard situations and how in a weird way not to be phased by them. So we're going to read in a second, but I'm going to give you a bit of a spoiler alert before we get there that this chapter basically shows us how to live by faith. It shows us how to never worry about things of this world, how to tackle any hard time uh, that life may throw at us and, and remain content in that. And, and the beauty of this passage, which I think is incredible, is it does all of that summed up in three words. 
uh, and we'll see as we go through if you can spot them. Uh, so just before I go any further, I'm going to hand over to my mate uh, Joe, who is going to read uh, the first part of the passage for us. Up on the screen. There we go. Okay. King King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, ninety feet high and nine feet wide, and set it upon the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisers, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps prefects, governors, advisers, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, this is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be uh, thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp and all kinds of music, all the people, nations of men of every language fell down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve you, serve your gods, nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Excellent, that's brilliant. Thank you, Joe. Um, so you can see there in the first part of our story that the, the bad guy in our story, King Nebuchadnezzar, absolutely fantastic name, has set up this big idol to himself and he's told everyone around to bow down to it. So something you need to know about Babylon uh, around 600-ish BC when this was set was that Babylon was a pluralistic society. Uh, and what that means is literally anything goes. So you can worship any god that you want to, um, as many gods as you want to, do whatever you want. In this story, Nebuchadnezzar is not asking our good guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not to worship the Lord. He never once tells them that they can't do that. No one is stopping them from worshipping God. He's just asking them um, to bow down to him also. And I think that's a really important point because another pluralistic society that you might be familiar with is 21st century Britain. Now, I imagine it's probably a bit less common uh, for Christians in our society to be told that you can't worship Jesus at all. Um, but I think it is very common in our society that there is this pressure to bow down to other idols at the same time. 
and whether they um, probably aren't as much big gold statues anymore, uh, but maybe things like money or our career, our status, our comfort. And I think if you're anything like me, we can be very, very good at making grey areas where we want to with that. And so we'll say phrases like, you know, obviously I'm absolutely a Christian and of course I put Jesus first. But to be honest, at the moment, my job just needs to be a bit of a priority. Or, you know, of course I'm a Christian and of course I put Jesus first. And I know that we should be generous to the poor and so forth. But, um, you know, right now I just I really need to save for my new house. And we can introduce these, these maybe grey areas where other things will creep into our life and take the most important spot or an equal spot without us ever even noticing that they've become idols. And in this story, at no point does Nebuchadnezzar say that they can't worship God. He's just putting on the pressure to bow down to the things of this world as well as that. And our heroes in the story, those three guys, they, they know that you can't serve God and another idol at the same time. Whether that is a big uh, gold statue, whether it is the things that maybe we struggle with more, career, money, status, comfort. They know that putting any of those on an equal footing with God is going to lead to big trouble. But it is also going to lead to that constant worry, that constant stress when those things aren't stable. Um, and as we keep reading, we're going to see a way to be set free from that stress. So I'm going to hand back to Joe, uh, who is going to read the next bit of our passage. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Sadrach, Meshach and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to, to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this manner. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. That's great. Thank you so much, Jane. Cheers. So now you are um, going to see it. The heat is being turned up a little bit, literally. So Shadrach, uh, Meshach and Abednego, uh, I'm going to call them all three amigos because I don't have to keep saying their names, uh, are brought before King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, our bad guy, and they're told explicitly that they need to bow down before his idol. Um, and if you um, are familiar with um, other bits of the Old Testament, you'll know this is not an empty threat. Uh, we see in Jeremiah, look in uh, chapter 29, verse 22, we see Nebuchadnezzar's got a bit of a reputation uh, for cooking up young Jews in his fire. It's something that he did quite a lot. Um, this is a very real threat. It's not empty. And again, you know, he's not asking them not to worship God. He's just saying, you know, blur the lines a little bit and bow down to me as well uh, I, I suppose our, our equivalent would be he's kind of saying to them yeah you know you can you can still go to church that's fine but ju just don't do your quiet times with God this week because you need to put those extra hours in at work or maybe you know don't don't give that little bit extra to the person you know who is is really struggling right now because to be honest it's quite important that you save for that new car you know they could quite easily make that very great and say oh you know what it's okay because I'm still still worshiping God but actually, they don't do that. They stand strong and they refuse, even on the penalty of death, 
because that is how seriously they take putting anything else on the same level as God in their life. And you know, when I was reading this passage, I thought, wow, just wow. That, that is certainly the first lesson that I, I took away. Do we take, do I take the other idols in my life that seriously? You know, do we do everything that we can to flee from them, no matter what is going to cost us? Do we prioritise our relationship with God, even if it means we're going to suffer at work because of it? Do we obey the Bible's command to be generous, even when we know money is tight? Can we sacrifice our comfort because we know that that's what God is calling us to? Careers, money, status, comfort, all of these things are idols. And if I'm being really honest uh, and I break down my life and I look at my life, I think I'm really challenged um, because I think I definitely compromise. I definitely bow down to those things sometimes. And I justify it being like, oh, it's okay because I'm still wishing that. I just, at the minute, my job just needs to come first. But actually, the Bible is very explicit. And the example of our, our three amigos in this story shows us that God calls us to put absolutely nothing else beside him because he knows that's what's best for us. Um, unfortunately, the king doesn't accept that. Um, but just before we carry on, I want to pause. Um, one of the things I really miss from church is the interactivity. And so I'm going to say a challenge. I just want somebody to write in the chat for me. I just want you to comment to answer the question, who isn't in this story? Um, and so we've seen, obviously, that long list of people uh, that have been invited. We've seen Shadrach, uh, Meshach and Abednego. Does anyone want to be brave and just type in the chat for me? Who is not present? There we go. Layla. Layla has absolutely smashed it. Daniel. Daniel is not in this story. So we are reading the book of Daniel. Uh, this is all about our hero, Daniel. And yet he hasn't even appeared once. And he doesn't appear at all in this story. Now, I don't entirely know why that is. Obviously, by this point, Daniel's got a lot of favour with Nebuchadnezzar. Maybe he's kind of been sent off to another country to do uh, royal business somewhere else or, or, or some other reason that I don't know what that is. Um, but the point is, our, our three amigos, uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Bendigo, they're on their own. OK, they haven't got their ringleader. Uh, and I just want you to think, when is it hardest for you to stand firm in your faith? And answering that question for me, I think it's when I'm on my own. When I'm on my own and the pressure is on. So I think it's easy to have faith and trust in God when everything's going well and it's all sunshine and daisies. Uh, and it's pretty easy to have faith when you're in church and you're surrounded by Christian friends and, and everyone's there to support you. But what about when you're on your own? separated from leaders or, or the people you look up to, the people who encourage you? Um, what about if you're in the office at work with 30 other people who don't agree with your views? Or maybe you're on your own at home where you know no one else can see you. You know, it, it's really easy to let our faith depend on others. But when we're on our own, when our, our back is against the wall, you know, that's tough. But I also think that's maybe the um, greatest test of how true our faith is. Um, I just want to pull out very quickly uh, something that the New Testament says. So uh, just one more time for us, Joe. Can you just read 1 Peter 1 uh, verses 6 and 7? In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that your faith 
of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Brilliant. Smash it again. Thank you. Um, and I found that uh, a, a really interesting um, passage when I came across it because it uses that phrase proven genuineness of our faith. And as I was reflecting through it and thinking about it, I kind of thought, well, I'm, maybe this is for me, my number 11 situation. Maybe this is my test because when everything is, is sunshine and roses, it's, it's easy to have a faith in God and to trust in him. But what about, you know, when it's hard? when you lose your job, when your organisation is struggling, when coronavirus comes along, when maybe that loved one passes away or, or, or the significant health diagnosis comes and there is just no explanation. Yeah, having faith and trusting God in those times is tough. You know, it is hard. But actually it's through trusting God in those times when there is no obvious answer, when there is no clear fix, there's no way out. Actually, that is when our faith is tested, whether we can see is our faith genuine or actually we're we just here for the good times. Um, our story, I love it because our, our three amigos, they're, they're facing the, the threat of death via a fiery furnace. I, I think if anything qualifies as a hard time, that definitely qualifies. Uh, they don't have their main man with them. They've not got Daniel, their ringleader. So they're very much on their own. The person who would normally inspire them and encourage them, he's, he's not there. They're stuck, they're on their own, they're backed against the wall, and yet they show faith. And the, the thing that's really great about this passage is it kind of shows us how we can do that too. Because I think in those hard times, we've got a choice. We can either go through it alone, as certainly probably over the last couple of months, I've been doing with my number 11 situation and, and taking that suffering on, on, on ourselves and feeling very sorry for myself. Or actually, we can choose and I'll stress, choose to have faith in the one who will ultimately break every chain of slavery, the one who is going to heal every heart and mind of illness, the one who's going to put right every injustice and walk every step of our journey here on earth by our side. And I do, I think that faith is a choice. And, you know, even though it is so hard having faith when things are tough, especially if we're on our own, rooting myself in God's biggest story, trusting that actually this life is only temporary and there are going to be trials and there are going to be difficult times, but I'm going to focus on what is so much bigger. The bigger story, the stuff that I know is better and to come because having faith in that sounds an awful lot better than just trying to put up with it on my own. And so how do we do that? How do we cling on to a genuine faith when it is hard, when our, our backs are against the wall, when we're, we're really truly up against it and we're tossing and we're turning and we're worrying and we're stressing? How do we make that choice to show faith? Um, well, here it comes. Um, we're going to read the next bit of the passage. Uh, I'd love to claim that this is, is all my own, but unfortunately it's all from scripture. Um, but it is amazing. I want you to look out for three little words. And there's three little words that this whole message has been building up to. Three little words that can change the way we do faith. Uh, and again, uh, well, I'd love to say there's a prize for someone who can put this into the chat. There is no prize, unfortunately. Um, but can you spot the three little words as Joe reads these next verses? Anyone in the chat? Go ahead, Joe. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O King. 
But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Brilliant. Thank you, Jane. Uh, I love that the, the only reply I had in the chat there was from Mike. So I'm going to discard Mike's answer. Um, did any of you catch those three words, really, really small words in the nine letters, but even if? And so what our heroes, they're, they're saying to Nebuchadnezzar, they're saying, you know what, if you throw us into the fire, we know God can save us from it. We trust that God can save us from it. We've got faith for that. But even if, even if he doesn't, we're still not going to compromise. You know, how, how powerful is that to be able to say that? They have put their, their faith in God to the point where nothing else matters. Their lives don't even matter. They are content to let themselves be burned in a furnace rather than not putting God first. You know, how I wish I could say confidently that I had that much faith, that all I needed was, was God and that my own life did not matter in that situation. Uh, I, I, I think... I very often uh, buy into the lie, and there, there is a lie. Uh, no matter how long you have been a Christian, this will, will always try and tempt you to buy into that lie. That if you can just get this thing sorted at work, or if you can just get a house that's this big, or if you can just earn this much, or you can just be in this relationship, or have this many friends, or, or, or meet this person, then you'll be happy. And it is, it is so easy to believe that lie. It's so easy to live waiting for the next thing. If I can just get through this crisis at work, if I can just sort out this problem with my car, if I can just sort this and this, then I'll be happy. But all of those things, they're going to let you down. And so if we ever try and put them before God, we're never going to find contentment. We're never going to find that happiness, that true peace and happiness that comes through a faith in Jesus. But the beauty is that actually Jesus never changes. So if we put him front and centre, if we make him the only thing that we fix our lives around, nothing else, no body else, no other thing, even to the extent of losing our own lives, then we can find that true happiness, that true contentment of being able to take on any challenge. And it might involve some very tough choices. Um, I think certainly for me, probably pressures me and makes me realise I need to uh, focus on some other things in my life and make sure that they don't have such an important place. And we have to make those choices so that we can come and we can pray and we can say, God, even if you don't work in that situation that I thought about right at the start of this preach, even if this doesn't go the way I was hoping, I'm still going to praise you. And so I'm actually going to stop there. Um, many of you might have noticed I haven't finished the story. We're not even halfway through. Um, and I'm not actually going to tell you how it ends. Um, to be fair, it's a pretty famous story in the Bible. If you want to finish it off, you can go and read Daniel chapter 3, verse 19 onwards. Uh, but controversially, I think I'm going to say for today, I don't think the ending matters. Because even if God didn't save them, this is a story about faith. This is a story about how we find that true peace and contentment through a relationship with God by letting go of all the other idols in our life and just putting Jesus first. As I've been going through this passage over the last couple of weeks and mulling it over in my head, uh, I've been uh, realising that I need to put that into practice and I, I've tried applying it to my number 11 situation. And you know, nothing miraculous has changed. We haven't had a big windfall of money or a load of people coming forward to say they want to donate. Um, but I have noticed a massive change in my perspective on the whole situation. 
Uh, and I've been very strict with myself that I've sat, sat down and every time I've prayed about it, I've said, God, but even if you don't want number 11 to carry on, even if uh, you don't want this to happen or that to happen, God, I'm still going to praise you. And I can genuinely say with my hand on my heart, I'm not just saying this because this is the topic I'm preaching on. Um, the amount of stress, the amount of anxiety, the amount of sleep at nights has reduced in a crazy way. I've not got it perfect. I still worry. I still have times when um, I'll probably make number 11 a bit of an idol and I'll make my own um, fear of failure a bit of an idol. Uh, I've not absolutely nailed it. I've not got it perfect. But the change just over three weeks of praying this prayer and saying, God, actually, but even if, and the peace and the contentment that has come with that. I think that's what I've really learned from this passage, that actually it's not about getting God to do what we want and getting it to happen our way. But actually it's about setting ourselves free from the worries of this world by saying, actually, God, I do want to put you first because I know that's the way you've made me. That's the way that I find the true peace and contentment that you promise. And that's how I'm able to say no matter what life throws at me, but even if, God, my joy comes from following you. And you know, that is, that is hard. It's a choice. Um, we will probably always be learning this journey for the rest of our lives. We're never going to nail it. But making that choice, praying that prayer, God, but even if, my joy comes from you. Nothing comes before you, God. That is the best way we can live. And so I'm going to draw it to a close there and I'm going to hand back over to you, Mike.